You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So one thing that is true for all of us is that we live within days that have a start and an end, right? Seasons start and end, thank God, right? Weeks start and end. And days start and end. And I'm convinced that the way we start and end each day matters. And again, this is not about whether we do this. We all do this. What matters is how we do this, how we start and end each day. And and this morning's passage in Galatians chapter two, I think helps us here. Because this passage is all about getting the truth of the gospel crystal clear. And and the first thing Paul does here in verses 15 and 16 is he explains the gospel. And then in the few verses that follow, he shows us how the truth of the gospel reorients everything about the way we live. And so for the sermon today, this is what we're gonna look at. There are just, again, two parts, simple outline, there are two parts. First, there is gospel explanation, verses 15 and 16. And then part two is gospel reorientation, all right? Got that? Gospel explanation, gospel reorientation. And uh, let's pray again one more time before we get started. Father in heaven, amen to all that has been prayed. Amen. And in this moment, again, we ask for your help as we are gathered here with your word open before us. All of your saints together ask by the power of your spirit, speak to us and show us the glory of your son. We ask in his name, amen. Amen. All right, gospel explanation is part one. And we're gonna pick up here in verse 15. But in terms of where we are in the book of Galatians, this week just continues what we saw last week when our brother Paul confronted our brother Peter in Antioch. And so if you, if you look down at your Bibles for a minute, you'll see that back in verse 14, if you look at verse 14, there are quote marks around the sentence that Paul said to Peter. So Paul, Paul said to Peter or Cephas in verse 14, quote, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, in some English translations, the the quote mark ends there at verse 14. But I think that, that Paul's actual quote continues down through verse 21. And so we're picking up in verse 15 today, but just know that what Paul is saying here is part of what Paul started in verse 14. Paul is saying all of this passage, all of this passage, Paul is saying to Peter, although he also means to be saying it to the Galatians, all right? So, so don't think because this is the quote of what Paul said to Peter. Don't think that he's merely just transcribing it here, but rather Paul is, is saying what he said to Peter for the benefit of the Galatians. Okay, so this is, this is Paul telling the Galatians and us what he said to Peter for our sake. All right, so way to, to think about it here. And what Paul is saying again, it goes back to what 
He said last week, what we saw last week, in that a person is not saved by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone, amen? Faith in Jesus alone plus nothing else is how we are saved because remember there was a controversy going on here. There were some false brothers or some some troublers who had been telling the Christians in Galatia that in order to really be saved, in in order to, to really be part of the people of God, faith in Jesus is not enough, but you also have to keep Jewish law. The false teachers were saying, yes, trust in Jesus, but also, for the men, you need to be circumcised like Jewish men, and you need to abide by Jewish dietary laws and restrictions and so forth. The, the, the false teachers were saying, faith in Jesus is important and necessary, but you also have to do these other things. They were teaching a Jesus plus something else heresy, and the apostles struck this down, okay? That's the one clear thing in chapter two. The apostles together in Jerusalem, in chapter two, verses one to 10, they were united in their rejection of this false teaching. The apostles confirm the truth of the gospel that Gentiles don't have to become like Jewish people in order to be saved because you are saved by faith in Jesus alone plus nothing else, amen? All right. The problem though is that Peter's behavior suggested something different. And that was the reason why Paul confronts Peter. We see that in verse 14. Paul says, Peter, you're Jewish and you, you live like a Gentile, which means you, you live like you're not bound to Jewish law. That's what he means there. Therefore, don't, don't force the Gentiles to live like they're Jewish. And Paul's gonna expand what he means here in verses 15 and 16. And and these two verses, 15 and 16, this is one long and amazing sentence here. This is is a packed, loaded, amazing sentence. What I wanna do, I wanna read the whole sentence first and then we're gonna slow down and we're gonna look at each part, okay? So this is verse 15, look at verse 15. Paul is continuing here what he's saying to Peter, he says, Peter, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, have any of you ever read a book or had a class on public speaking? Okay, about five of you will get what I'm about to say. But there's an old adage in public speaking. It's public, it's just, you know, uh, classic advice when it comes to public speaking. You may have heard this before. Tell them what you will say, say it, tell them what you said, right? They're just ripping that from the Apostle Paul. That's basically what he's, he's doing here. And it can feel when we, when we read it just, just then, it feels redundant, right? It feels like he's just being super repetitive. 
But if we slow down and we look at the pieces, I think we'll see something important here. And in order for us to understand this, I think there are three things we need to see to, to track with it, okay? So under this gospel explanation, here are three things that I want us to see. First, we need to understand the justification metaphor. Now last week, and even so far today, I've been using the word saved, because I like that word. We are, we are saved by faith in Jesus plus nothing else. That is a good Bible word. Paul uses that word in other places, but you'll see that here, the, the word that Paul is using is the word justified. Now to be saved or to be justified, it, it means the same thing. They're getting at the same idea, but they are different metaphors, okay? They're different images. So imagine here, to be saved, we get this, to be saved means something like you're trapped in a house that's on fire and somebody runs in, they take you and they bring you out. They saved you, right? They, they rescued you, they saved you. We understand what saved means. Well, to be justified is a law court metaphor, okay? So did, did anyone in here, any of you guys ever used to watch Judge Judy or law court TV? Okay, first, everybody else stop judging these people for raising their hands. Thank you for your honesty this morning. Whether you watched it or not, I think we all, all kind of get what a, a court scene looks like. We understand the, 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 the pieces in, in play. There's always a judge, at least, always a judge and a defendant. And the judge issues a verdict on this defendant, and the defendant is the person who has charges against them. Well, the climactic moment in a courtroom is when the judge pronounces the defendant either guilty or not guilty. Or you, or you could say either guilty or justified. To be justified means to be, de to be declared in the right. It means to be declared righteous. And theologically, for God to justify us means that God is the ultimate judge and we are all in his court with charges against us and he declares that we are righteous. For God to justify us means that he says that we are right with him. That's what Paul is talking about here. This is about how can we how can we be right with God? That's the question. And that brings us to the second thing that Paul says here. The answer to the question of how we can be right with God is the same answer for everybody. Verse 15. Paul starts here with the common ground that he and Peter share in their Jewishness. Paul and Peter are, were both by nature, by birth, ethnically Jewish, which means that they were not Gentile sinners. Now remember, in the ancient world, within the Jewish mindset, there were just two categories of people. There were Jewish people and there was everyone else. And everyone else was called the nations or Gentiles or sometimes just simply sinners. 
Gentile sinners. The, the word Gentile and the word sinner were interchangeable in the ancient world. And so Paul is saying, hey, Peter, look, we, we know that we're Jewish. We know that we're in this category of people, not that category of people. But we also know that being in this category of people is not what makes us right with God. It's not by works of the law. Now, when Paul says this phrase, works of the law, he means any and every kind of Old Testament law keeping. This is what makes a Jewish person a good Jewish person. And Paul says, we know Peter, we know that's not what justifies us. And in fact, law keeping, works doing, is not what justifies anybody. Look at verse 16. Skip to the last sentence here in verse 16, just before verse 17. And notice that Paul repeats here, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Well, when Paul says this, he's actually quoting from Psalm 143 verse 2 where David prays to Yahweh and says, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous or justified before you. And the no one in Psalm 143 and the no one in Galatians 2 here is put very strongly. It means no human flesh, no human kind. So Paul gets this from the Old Testament because the evidence is there. Being Jewish does not make you right before God. Keeping Mosaic law doesn't do it. Sacrifices and offerings and all of the most genuine acts of religious devotion does not do it. But everybody, Jewish and Gentile, all human flesh can only be right with God the same way not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. The apostles have confirmed this. Paul and Peter have agreed here. They've agreed here. They all agree here. All peoples have in common their need for Jesus. And Paul and Peter, our brothers, this is something that they knew firsthand. All right? And this is the third thing to see here. Under this gospel explanation, Paul and Peter have both trusted in the necessity and sufficiency of faith in Jesus. This is really Paul's point in verse 16. It's not just that Paul and Peter shared the same conviction about faith in Jesus, but it's that they have acted on that conviction by they themselves putting their faith in Jesus, not their works. Now, one fascinating thing about about this whole passage is that Paul stays away from theoretical and he's constantly getting practical and personal. Look, Look at how practical he gets here. We can see it in the language. Now in the Greek, the noun for faith and the verb for believe are the same words. Now, when we translate them, it sounds different. Faith sounds like faith, and b- b- beliefs, they sound different, okay? But in the original, they're the, the same words. We have words like this in English too. For example, take, take the word trust, right? Trust 
is a noun and a verb, and, and it has the same meaning. And this is, I think, this is a small thing, but I think hearing the sameness of the words in verse 16 will, will help bring this together for us, okay? So I'm gonna put verse 16 in a paraphrase, and I'm gonna use the word trust instead of faith. They mean the same thing, but I'm gonna use the word trust because I want you to, I want you to hear the sameness, okay, in the English, all right? So this is what Paul's saying. He says, Peter, because we know that even Jewish people like us are not justified by works, but through trust in Jesus, we have trusted in Jesus. Because we know that we can only be right with God by trusting Jesus, we trust Jesus. See? But Paul is saying to Peter, look, 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 we, we don't just merely affirm this. We don't just merely agree with this, but we are banking everything on this truth. Our background does not matter. And, and we know that Paul, from his other letters, like the book of Philippians, we know that he had an impressive background. He was a fantastic law keeper. Paul was an outstanding Jewish religious person. And he's saying here, none of that matters. Peter, look, <laughs> Peter, all of our eggs are in the faith in Jesus basket. All of them, faith in Jesus alone, which means that faith in Jesus is not just necessary for salvation, but it's also sufficient. Faith in Jesus is not just necessary for us to be justified. It's sufficient for us to be justified. Those two words, I think, are central to Paul's explanation of the gospel here. The two words, necessity and sufficiency. Faith in Jesus is necessary and sufficient for justification. In other words, contra the false teachers, what goes for everyone, Jewish and Gentile, is that faith in Jesus is not just needed to be justified, it's enough to be justified. And that changes everything. And Paul knows it does. Paul knows it does, which is why Paul goes here from explaining the truth of the gospel to showing how the gospel reorients everything about the way we live. So what I wanna do here, we're gonna go from part, part one, gospel explanation, so now we're looking at part two, gospel reorientation, and what I would like to do here in part two is something a little bit different, okay? Um, my hope here under gospel reorientation is I wanna, I wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna make what Paul's saying, I wanna help what, what Paul's saying here, I want it to be as practical as possible for us. And so we're gonna work through verses 17 to 21, but I'm gonna summarize what Paul is saying in the form of three resolutions in the first person, okay? Now, the reason that I'm doing the resolutions is first, I've been reading Jonathan Edwards recently, and he loves some resolutions, okay? So it's all kind of in my head. The second thing, and more importantly, is um, as resolutions in the first person, these are things that I want you to take and embrace for yourself, 
okay? I want you to own these things. These resolutions or these opportunities are things that I want you to remind yourself all the time. So take these and put them on your fridge or put them in your car or put them wherever you wanna put them. But these are practical things that I want all of us to take away from Galatians chapter two. Does that make sense? How we're doing, okay, here, here's the first resolution. Number one, resolved. I can do nothing to contribute to my justification because God gets the glory, not me. Look at verse 17. In verse 17, Paul is answering an accusation from the false teachers. Remember in the Jewish mindset, there are two categories of people. There are Jewish and then there are Gentile sinners. So, so track, track with those categories here. The false teachers were saying that, hey, if you listen to Paul, if you embrace that you're justified by faith in Jesus alone so that you stop the works of the law, if you stop the works of the law, it means you're no longer Jewish, but you're like a Gentile sinner. So again, remember there's two categories here, Jewish and Gentile sinner. The false teachers were saying that when Jewish people believe the gospel that Paul preaches, it actually moves them from the Jewish category to the Gentile category. And therefore, when people believe in Jesus, it means that Jesus is just creating more sinners in the world. He's moving more and more people into this Gentile sinner category. That was the way they were thinking and Paul says, no. That's not at all what's going on here. First, your whole dichotomy is wrong. We're all sinners. And in fact, and this is fascinating if we can track with it. Paul says, now in fact, (laughs) if I go back to relying on the works of the law for my justification, that's actually what makes me a sinner. See, the apostle Paul, he turns the tables on these false teachers. He says, faith in Jesus is not what moves us into the category of sinner, but now it's that because we have believed in Jesus, we sin if we go back to relying on the law. That's verse 18. And then it's it's verse 21. Look at verse 21. Paul understands, (laughs) verse 21, Paul understands that if he contributes to his justification in any way, it nullifies the grace of God. It empties the grace of God of its power. And this is something that we all need to nail down and get super clear in our heads and hearts. It's the question, here's the question. Did God save me or did God help me save myself? Do you get the question? That's that's what's going on here. Did God save me or did God help me save myself? Like like did God bring me 90% of the way and then the last 10% is my part? Or or is it it maybe 99% faith in Jesus and then the last 1% is my law keeping? Well, Paul would say, if that's the case, even if it's a, a 99 and one, If that's the case, it invalidates God's grace altogether. And he's gonna get into this more in chapter five. We'll see it again, but it's clear enough here in verse 21. If we could be justified in any way by the law, it means the death of Jesus was pointless because it would mean that Jesus' death 
was not enough to save you. Basically, this would make the gospel of Jesus not a gift, but a coupon, okay? Now, by God's grace, uh, I've been married, Melissa and I have been married for for 15 years. And over those years and before we were married, you know, Christmases and, and birthdays and anniversaries, I, I feel like I've been able to get her some really good gifts, okay? I think, you can ask, I think so. But also like in that stretch of time, which is a long stretch of time, I have gotten her some not so good gifts, okay? This is one of those you live, you learn situations, all right? And so for some of you younger guys, um, this, you can just take this as, as, as you know, future marriage advice. Giving someone a coupon as a gift is not a gift, okay? Have you, have you ever seen someone unwrap a coupon? I've been there, okay? It's like you thought, like may, you thought this was a good idea. And then as you see them unwrap it, you just have this moment where you're like, oh, yeah. Now, it was maybe a good try, it was, it was, you know, a decent head start, but that's really all it can be because that's all a coupon can be. Look, we need to know, get this clear, the death and resurrection of Jesus was not a coupon. When the son of God was slain for you, when nails were driven through his hands and feet, when the wrath of God that you deserve was poured out on him, when Jesus died in your place, he died to save you all the way as a gift. And that's what faith understands because faith is the empty-handed embrace, the empty-handed receiving of that gift. If we come to the cross of Jesus and we think that it only partially saves us, if we come to the cross and we, and we think that we still gotta do this part, if we make the cross of Jesus a coupon, it actually makes the death of Jesus pointless and it dishonors him. It dishonors him. I hope you see that what's at stake here is the glory of God. If we have contributed anything to our justification, it means that we should get credit for it, right? It would mean, if this were the case, it would mean that God does not get all the glory, but we get some of the glory too. Even if it's just 1%. Even if it's just 1%, it would mean that we get glory too. I mean, can you imagine for a minute, as Marshall was talking about heaven, imagine for a minute, imagine meeting Jesus Imagine standing before him and seeing him face to face and saying to the Lord Jesus, I'm here because we work together. (laughs) And yet, 
And yet, every time we act, in the here and now, every time we act like we can contribute to our justification, we are acting as if we will say that to him one day. You're in a fantasy land, man. It's a fantasy land. God gets all the glory, every bit of it. Every bit of it, okay? Every bit of the glory belongs to him. He gets the glory. He has determined, God has determined in the gospel in every way that he is the one who saves us so that he is the one who gets the glory. And even our faith, even our faith, which is the empty-handed receiving of Jesus, it, it too is not our own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We contribute nothing. Are you okay with that? We contribute nothing. Faith in Jesus alone is sufficient. Amen? Faith in Jesus, resolved then, resolved. Faith in Jesus alone is sufficient, so we are resolved. I can do nothing to contribute to my justification because God gets the glory, not me. Now, here's the second thing. Resolved, over here, resolved to love others freely and fearlessly. Now, Paul does not address love head on in this passage like he's gonna do later in Galatians. But I bring it up now because this answers a common objection to justification by faith. It's that if we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone, what is there left for us to do? Like if we're not on the hook to contribute to our justification, what does that mean for the activity of the Christian life right now? Well, it means that we love others and we love them freely. One helpful way that this has been explained going back to the reformers in the 16th century is that we are justified by faith alone, but faith is never alone. In that, faith is productive and active. Martin Luther called it fides viva, living faith. The, the faith in Jesus that alone justifies us becomes a power plant of righteousness energy that is expressed through love. And, and, and the love is expressed freely because it's not what I must do in order to be saved, it's what I get to do because I am saved. Our love is not driven by compulsion, it flows from freedom. And to get more practical here, just think with me, in the next 12 hours, the next 12 hours from this moment, you will encounter opportunities to love others. So think ahead, imagine that moment now, and when you get there, remember this, okay? When you encounter that opportunity, and you're, you're trying to decide, should I step into this or not, just know, clarify, what you are being asked to do is not justify yourself. It is not a demand with your eternal soul at stake, but it really is an opportunity where your love might flow freely from the fact that you're justified by faith alone. It's an opportunity where love might flow. We can love others freely and fearlessly. Now, I think one of the biggest hurdles to loving others is not distraction or indifference, 
but it's the fear of how it will be received. We fear repercussions. Like, what if this person doesn't receive this act of love? Or what if somehow in this act of love it goes sideways and backfires on me or here in America, what if I get criticized, right? Criticism, criticism from others, disapproval, disparagement, that fear I think is one of our main barriers to love. Basically, it's the risk that others might think badly of you. I just want you to know, the answer to that fear is justification by faith in Christ alone. Because, because if we're justified by faith in Jesus alone, it means that the worst and best thing that someone could say about us has already been said. Now this is an insight from the late David Pallison, and I mentioned this uh, last week to our men, but this is, this is, the, this is the, the insight. It's that at the cross, the worst thing, the worst thing that could be said about you was said by Jesus. It's that he said, you are so sinful. You are so guilty, you are so incompetent to save yourself that it requires the death of the Son of God. Can you imagine a worse thing to be said about you? But also, nothing better could be said about you. Because it's not just that you're, you're so sinful Jesus had to die, it's that you're so loved that Jesus willingly died. <laughs> you get it? You're so loved by Jesus. You are loved by Jesus, so loved by Jesus that he gave himself for you. He gave himself for you. What could ever be said about you that is better than that? See Christian, the worst and best things that could be said about you have already been said by Jesus. And if we really believe that, if we believe that, it means that we are untouchable. Untouchable. It, it means, it, what it means is that we can look at people and we can think or we can say, your potential scorn your potential scorn cannot touch me because of the gospel. So, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna love you fearlessly. I'm gonna love you fearlessly as an effect of my justification by faith. Resolved, resolved to love others freely and fearlessly. And now finally, number three, gospel reorientation resolved to live, not I, but Christ in me. Verse 19 first, look at this. Paul says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now this is the fundamental reorientation. 
the way I used to live, enslaved to the law as my hope for righteousness, that's over. It's dead to me, I'm dead to it, so that I might live to God. Now, what, is that, what does he mean here? How does that look? Well, that's, for, that's what verse 20 is. And I've tried to save the best for last with verse 20, okay? Many of you know this verse, right? We, maybe a life verse for, for some of us. We know this verse, but I just wanna stop. I just wanna say for a minute, I am so, I'm so amazed that I get to preach this to you. This is one of those moments where it's like, the reason that I get to do this is because this is true. <laughs> like this is that truth in action in this present moment. So hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? I'm alive right now. I, I feel pretty alive. I'm alive right now. I'm living right now. Christian, you're living right now. You're alive right now. But it's not us. <laughs> It is Christ living in us. This activity, all that we do here in this life, in our skin and bones, this life that we lived is lived by faith in Jesus. Our entire lives then are a empty handed receiving of Jesus' power. Don't think, Christian, that, you know, I'm living for Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is living in you. Jesus is living through you, not I, but Christ in me. So what, what's pulsing through my veins right now and your veins? What is pulsing through our veins? You can call it blood, because it is. Or you can call it grace. It's grace, it's mercy. It is the life of Jesus active in us. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding you, right? Like in this exact moment right now, in this moment, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is living in us. He's living in you and he's living in me because Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself for me. Now, I mentioned earlier that in this passage, Paul, he, he stays away from theoretical. He gets away from theoretical. He gets practical and personal. And well, here's the personal part, which doesn't mean sentimental, okay? This is fact. Paul is talking facts here. He is stating a fact that Jesus loves him. And Jesus' love is seen in that Jesus gave himself for Paul. Paul says, the great theologian, the Apostle Paul, he says, Jesus loved me. He loves me and he died for me. Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me. Me, me, Paul says, me. And Paul knows Remember, he's talking to, to Peter. 
He knows Peter can say the same thing. And he knows that we, the Galatians in us, we can say the same thing. That Jesus loved me, that Jesus gave himself for me. Peter can say it, we can say it, and we must say it. We must say it, I think, every day. Because every day has a start and an end. And the way you start and end matters. And there is no better way to start and end your day than to remember that Jesus loves you. He loves you. He died for you. And the life that you live right now, the life that you live, your waking life, your resting life, the life that you live right now, it's not you, but it is Christ living in you and through you. Resolved then, church, resolved. Resolved to live, not I, but Christ in me. And that's what brings us to this table. Because at this table, as we take the bread and cup, we remember and we demonstrate our union with Jesus by faith. We are saying that indeed, all of my hope, all my eggs are in that basket. All of my hope is in Jesus. It is I who no longer lives, but Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me. If that's your confession this morning, if Jesus alone is your hope, if you trust in him, let's eat and drink together. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.